It's down to the wire. Lewis Hamilton wins in Saudi Arabia to level the scores and set up a do-or-die championship showdown with Max Verstappen. This is the F1 Strategy Report. My name's Michael Laminato and welcome to round 21 of 22, the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. For Apex Race Manager, the mobile race simulator. Download it for free on iOS and Android. The Saudi Arabian Grand Prix on the brand new Jeddah Corniche circuit was always going to be appointment viewing for its effects on the championship count, but the Serpentine Streets delivered a dynamite arena for the boiling over of title tensions. For the most part, this was nothing like the Mercedes circuit we expected it to be, and Max Verstappen was all but certain to take pole with a spectacular final lap in Q3, right until he binned his car exiting the final corner, leaving him third behind a Mercedes front row lockout. From there, the chaotic events of the race took hold. Two red flags had the order swap three times between Hamilton and Verstappen, until the Dutchman solidified first spot at the second standing restart. But some off-track defending from Verstappen forced race control to intervene, ordering him to hand the lead to Hamilton. He tried to do so by hitting the brakes hard into the last corner, and the pair collided in what the stewards declared erratic driving. At the third time of asking, Hamilton managed to barge past. He even put Verstappen off the road in a show of defiance to record a crucial victory and take the championship down to the wire. But his mental exhaustion post-race was testament to the most intense duel between the title leaders yet. To help sift through how the most dramatic chapter yet in the 2021 title fight unfolded, from Auto Week, I'm joined by Phil Horton. Phil, thanks for joining me. Thank you, Michael. Hello. Good to be here. And what a race to have you on for, because I'm always worried when we go to a street circuit, could be a little bit dull, yeah. could be a bit straightforward. Obviously, expectations where there was not going to be very much overtaking. It did take a little while to get some overtaking, but we actually got, I mean, a pretty meaningful race, if nothing else, for this championship. Yeah, I mean, these races that end up with Lewis Hamilton first, Max Verstappen second, Valtteri Bottas third, I mean, they're always just so dull, <laughs> sessional, straightforward, you know, <laughs> crikey. Um <laughs> Where do we end with this one? Yes, it is difficult to know how to slice this one. There are a couple of different ways, but I do want to start at the beginning because the week leading up to this race, we really thought we were looking at what was going to be a bit of a slam dunk Mercedes round. On paper, looks like absolutely a power circuit. Mercedes was bringing its so-called spicy equipment, as Toto Wolff said, which certainly uh, you know raised expectations that this was going to be a Mercedes round. And yet... It didn't end up being the case. I think it's really interesting because we often think that Formula One you know, is really overanalyzed. The teams know too much. There's too much simulation. But then we do come to a new track. And yes, it is a slightly extreme new track, I guess. But they still don't really have a, a proper grasp of what to do there. They don't know exactly how to tackle it in, in the perfect way we're used to seeing them tackle tracks they know much better. What did we learn from the layout of this track? Is it fair to say that it just wasn't as Mercedes as expected, or was it just that Mercedes did not nail it in the way we expected? Um, I think it's probably a mixture of both. I think what we've seen through, particularly the second half of the season, is that lots of times, you know, I think you could say Istanbul, I think everyone thought that would be Red Bull and it turned out to be Mercedes. Then Austin, everyone thought that was going to be Mercedes and Red Bull won the race. Mexico did play to the form book, but then um, Brazil. Everyone thought that would be Red Bull and it was Mercedes. So I think maybe maybe just because they're so close, you know, there's there's not massive swings. It's kind of a tenth here, two tenths here. These teams are so close that if they just fall out of the window, one can have the advantage over the other. And I think what we saw through practice, particularly in the second session, um, or it might have been the third, my memory's hazy, so much has happened, um, <laughs> that Mercedes couldn't unlock the optimum performance on the soft tyre. So probably on mediums and hards, they are better, but Red Bull could 
straight away I wouldn't say easier but they were able to set times on the soft tyres that Mercedes couldn't quite manage and obviously when you know when the soft tyres the one that's used for qualifying that's pretty crucial yeah absolutely right and we saw a, a lot of focus on that as well from from Max I think it was in FP2 you're right when you know there were incidents there's a lot of traffic incidents in particular you couldn't get a clean lap in but still Red Bull prioritized trying to get clean laps in over race pace ultimately because what well, we expected and it really did end up being the case that track position was pretty important in this race and so the idea of taking pole potentially was going to be critical to the race outcome and let's consider qualifying here because Red Bull did get very close to getting pole position here with what would have been or could have been an alternative universe, the lap of the year, maybe the lap of, of many years, in fact. And I'm interested because this is now we can put this in the context of being the second last race of the year. Championships very close. Maybe that is taking too global a look of things. Maybe more just the context of the way Max Verstappen approaches Formula 1. In a sense, that's even more of a global look. But anyway, <laughs> it, there was just no let up on that lap. It's what made it so spectacular. Anyone who hasn't seen that lap for whatever reason, it's well worth seeing at least up to the, the last corner. And then, of course, watch the last corner. That's where the action happens. But obviously carried too much. It was just too fast in that last corner, even if he says he, he braked a little bit earlier, but was carrying more speed than expected in that last corner. It, it feels like it, it would have been pretty easy for him to just take it more easy into that turn. This became a bit of a theme throughout the race that there's no dialing it down to 10 out of 11, really, for Max Verstappen. How crucial to the outcome of this weekend was him not getting pole position here? Because it's easy to imagine it could have been a very straightforward race otherwise. Yeah, it's a strange one because, I mean, both Lewis and Max made mistakes in qualifying in Q3. You know, Lewis's first lap the back end stepped out through turn 10 mm. so he had to abandon that lap he then puts a, a very good benchmark in but a lap that was eminently beatable you know um the, the 27.5 max was on course probably 27.1 27.2 but that lap was just it's one of those extraordinary moments where you're just gripped by watching it that you forget that you've got other things to do looking at any other driver because you thought after turn two you thought oh this is looking done he's gone wide <laughs> i don't think he hit the wall but he came probably as close as you can get um, without causing damage. So you're already thinking, oh, he's surely going to go through that first sector um, point a few tenths down and that'll be it. And then when he's up, you're thinking, how has he done that? You know, how has he carried the speed? And then through that that sequence of the not straights along the, the, the corniche, and then he's still up and you're thinking, this is so committed. And then he obviously makes that mistake, which was a shame, but that's how fine the margins are. In terms of how it impacted the race, it's a weird one because probably making that mistake actually then helped him because when we had the red flag, well, it wasn't the red flag. When we had the safety car, and Red Bull just went, right, let's do the opposite. So he's got the lead. At that stage, he's on the back foot, but all of a sudden, it's then a gift of you're now on pole position for the restart. If he had taken pole position and stayed ahead on track and the order had been... Verstappen, Hamilton, Bottas for that first stint, maybe Red Bull would have brought him in under the safety car thinking, keep track position, and Mercedes would have done the opposite. I mean, we don't know, we'll never know. So it's one of those weird races where maybe not taking pole position in the first place actually, well, I wouldn't say it helped, but it didn't It didn't not help in a kind of very roundabout, confusing way in which this race unfolded. It was so random in many respects. I mean, so many competing elements for, for dominance over the course of Saturday and Sunday in terms of the, the ultimate result. It is a good call. Starting on pole could very well have undone, uh, have undone him at that, that first red flag, whereas it actually opened an opportunity starting further back. Let's look at that race now, because it was uh, Lewis Hamilton who started on pole ahead of Valtteri Bottas and Mercedes 
one-two result. Very much didn't look like that at the very end of Saturday, but in the end, that's exactly where they started. And for a little bit of a change, I suppose, they held position into the first corner. Valtteri Bottas held second ahead of Max Verstappen. Really clean start, and we got this sense that this was going to be the kind of street race I guess we probably expected. Really controlled pace, gaps not really opening up. You got the sense Mercedes probably had the pace here, but were really just managing it to get to the first pit stop and grind out a victory. All changed, of course, with Mick Schumacher's crash at turn 22 and 23, nine laps into the race. Two things happened here. There was a safety car, and and a handful of laps later, there was a red flag. But let's start with the safety car, of course, as you mentioned already. Mercedes made the decision to stop, made the decision to stop both cars. In fact, Valtteri Bottas even slowed Max Verstappen down a little bit to make sure they had time to, to do the double stack. No investigation required for that. That's by the by. I thought it was interesting that Mercedes, in a what appeared to be a position of dominance, maybe it wasn't as much uh, as it looked to me, but decided to throw it all in with stopping both cars when it was pretty early in the race, only, well, lap 10 by the, point they, by the time they stopped. And the fact that there was the potential for red flags. It's a street circuit. We, we And we see a lot of red flags these days in Formula 1. We surprised that they didn't even, they didn't even seem tempted to hedge their bets to keep perhaps Valtteri Bottas out or one or the other to to cover off Max Verstappen doing the opposite. I think at the time it was the entirely sensible thing to do because when you're in control of the race, you're the one that you're trying to take less risks. You can't make the gamble because if you if you make the gamble, everyone's going to say, you've just thrown this race away. Now, at the time, I think they were thinking it was lap 10. I think Pirelli had estimated that the one-stop strategy, the, the medium to hard strategy, the pit window was about lap 15 to 20, but could come earlier, could come later. And if if you're thinking it's it's lap 10 you probably knew the safety car was going to be out for three or four laps at the very least which would have taken you to lap 14 so you're thinking can we do 36 laps on these hard tires probably yes especially in a circuit where track position was so crucial i think they would have expected everyone or nearly everyone behind to pit anyway so i reckon there was probably an element of surprise that max didn't at that stage And I think had they been in front, it would have been a kind of almost what we saw in the first stint, which is very Singapore-like of managing the pace, being quite far off the pace just to make that one-stop strategy work. Because unless someone was so close behind, you weren't going to be overtaken. So you'd kind of just have that elongated train of everyone being a second, two seconds behind where no one's going to pass. Everyone's just kind of running their race and, and waiting for it to kick off, which it then did. Yeah, I mean, it, it didn't stop for a couple of laps kicking off, really. <laughs> the red flag rule has come under the microscope a couple of times in the last two seasons. It's made and, and broken a couple of races over the last couple of seasons. Uh, after every occasion, there are always a, a handful of drivers who speak out against it this week and in the last couple of times. In fact, it's been Lando Norris who's very much been on the front foot because red flags, of course, means you can change tyres for free when other drivers may have already made the stops. Mercedes made those stops under the safety car. Max Verstappen didn't. A red flag was flown uh, five laps after the safety car was deployed. He got a free stop, inherited the lead on the spot. Is it time for Formula One to reconsider this rule? I'm sort of a little bit torn because it's sort of like that's just the rules it's the the race once the race starts like that's it it's sort of a bit of a free-for-all but you know in situations like this there was a risk that we had the whole race decided on a single lap in a single red flag incident i think it's time to definitely review it because i mean obviously lando was the one that was very badly affected as he was a couple of times last year so he's he's quite right to feel pretty aggrieved at it i think i think it's twofold i think one is the damage element which we've had a few times where people have been able to repair their cars and maintain position that i think is something that they should look at in terms of if you're repairing your car i think you should have to take it out of the queue 
and go to the back. I think that's what they do in other categories. Um, then in terms of the, the tyre issue, it's a difficult one because you could argue when you have a virtual safety car, when you have a safety car, you effectively get a free stop as well. So that can that can change matters. I think the problem here is that because you had a safety car and then a red flag, it was as if the guys that had pitted, it was kind of like a double whammy in that they lose time and then they lose the trap position and then that's it. There's no kind of like, oh, well, we've lost position behind the safety car, but we'll gain it back because others have still got to pit. So... I think what I would maybe suggest, I mean, I'm sure there's the law of unintended consequences, because there always is, is that if you change tyre, you have to change onto the same compound of tyre on which you were on, such that you're not gaining an advantage. Say, you know, Max was on um, the mediums, then took the restart, I would have said, right, you've got to go back on another set of mediums you can't you can't go on hards now um you still have to make a mandatory stop um i'm sure people would then say that's unfair so i I don't think there's a perfect solution um to this but i'm sure it will be discussed and i think it should be discussed because it, it can be it can be very arbitrary how it pans out sometimes there is no perfect solution you're right because ultimately even the safety car had there been no red flag could have been a real race killer could have neutralized the race on the spot just by dint of where you were on the track at the time the safety car was deployed and realistically when the safety car was deployed i assumed the race was finished because we've seen this plenty of times at street tracks in fact only abu dhabi last year we had quite an early safety car and then the race just ground to the flag for i think it was 90 percent of the laps still to run at the time so in a sense uh, I, i can understand why there's no perfect answer but it does seem like there's a little bit of a mood for, for change on some level, at least. At least to talk yeah. about it. Release some frustration. You know, I think there's, there's got to be something there. Uh, but that's how that first red flag unfolded. The restart was uh, where things started to get, I guess, a, a little bit interesting, really. Uh, we had a couple of drivers fundamentally out of position, not least of all Mercedes for losing a couple of positions on track to Max Verstappen. To just quickly run through a couple of them, we'll get to them a little bit later on in the podcast as well. Ocon, Ricardo, Gasly and Vettel were all pretty big winners from this one, whereas Norris, as you said, Perez and Leclerc were all relatively badly affected by this after decent starts beforehand. But let's go to the restart anyway, because Hamilton had a great one, a really terrific restart on the hard tyre. Uh, in fact, he was ahead until he was told he was not ahead by Max Verstappen, fundamentally. Uh, and the first of a couple of flashpoints from this weekend. Not the first time we've seen fundamentally this incident between these two drivers, though, is it? Where one driver's essentially been forced wide off the track, reminiscent of Imola, reminiscent of, I mean, a bunch of races. I mean, that's, there's only one way to overtake, really, in Formula 1, to get alongside and try and move past. But what did you make of this first incident between these two drivers and and what does it say i guess about where the championship is at the moment that they're still threatening to hit each other pretty much i think you've got to a stage now where mercedes and lewis hamilton had won the last two races and max probably knew that his sole chance was staying ahead at that restart um because of the difficulty in overtaking um and also because of the way that first complex kind of invites you to run wide it's quite badly designed there's a few circuits that are like that where if you just go deep you can run your rival off cut the corner and stay ahead and then argue out with the stewards um i think the reason it happened at that start is you consider the race start itself you've got 50 laps ahead everyone's going into the unknown you know the strategy is going to unfold so i think everyone's slightly more cautious you get to that restart there's 
suddenly 35 laps left but everyone's now going to the end so any position you gain at the start is more influential in terms of the outcome plus you have drivers out of position so there's cars that maybe shouldn't be there or cars that aren't used to suddenly being five positions higher on the grid than than where they were at at the first start um so I think I think the way that panned out was kind of symptomatic of everyone being a bit more aggressive um, and especially this kind of inconsistency we've had as well where where when you're forced wide or are you cutting a corner or it's kind of what happened in Brazil at what point is does racing become too much you know I think that second restart um, yes second standing start was too much for Max but you can understand why he did it because he's thinking I might get away with this you know, because I have before. I think Brazil you raise is a really good point. I was going to raise this later, but we may as well talk about it now because it's been kind of hanging over the sport a little bit since Brazil. It's been in the back of our heads, back of my head anyway. Maybe it's just me who thinks about it. But I do feel considering, particularly Abu Dhabi coming up as the last race where there's plenty of runoff, the runoff is bountiful. And in Qatar it could have been the case, but of course they weren't so close to each other for most of the race to find out. But it was a precedent set, right? Where we know that Hamilton and, and Verstappen both went off the track. Verstappen, to my mind anyway, seemed to run Hamilton off the track in Brazil. I don't think there's too much debate about that. Uh, and it was dese- uh, deemed that there was not even worth uh, investigation. There was no problem there. Now, Verstappen was served a number of penalties in this race in Saudi Arabia. Fundamentally, three, two, and then one offer from the race director during the red flag period. We'll talk about that in a second. But he said after the race, I find it interesting that I'm the only one who gets a penalty when both of us ran out of the white lines. In Brazil, it was fine, but suddenly I get a penalty for it. It just really brings home the fact that these drivers do pay attention to these precedent set. Now, I guess we could, on the one hand, argue that maybe that means the stewards, and they do change from race to race, so we don't know what we'll get in Abu Dhabi, but have actually decided amongst themselves that that is not the precedent that should be set moving forward. But how much of an influence might that have on not only on this race obviously we know what happened in this race but in the last race of the season how much is that precedent do you think can be weighing against how these guys do battle i think it will be because it's been happening for most of the season in that it seems to become a rule nowadays that if you have part of your car alongside your rival you can effectively take them off the road and then argue it out and say well i had the line i was alongside and it's just it's a really difficult one because you think well you want racing but how how hard do you want the racing you know sometimes you have to say well you've just got to concede the corner you just weren't ahead or that was too aggressive because there's this argument of well then you should just put gravel down and if they're in the gravel they're out of the race but I think it's just a bit it's a bit too simplistic to look at that I think it, it stems back you know you think they came very close in Imola they came very close in Barcelona they came very close in Portimao so even three of the first four races they nearly took each other off but I think on each of those occasions Lewis backed out um, thought discretion as the better part of Valor but I think ever since Silverstone that's changed in that neither are really willing to compromise Um, so looking to Abu Dhabi it is a worry that it could come down to one of those awkward I was ahead he was ahead yeah but he should have backed off yeah but and you kind of have this back and forth where it's not actually clear cut. So in a weird way, it'd be quite nice if someone goes to Abu Dhabi, takes pole, dominates the race, wins it like that. And we're not we're not left with this kind of half-hearted, he said, she said, five-second penalty that people could argue for, for days and days and days. Because, you know, the, the fact we're sat here and we can't say, oh yeah, 100% that was a penalty, 100% that was a penalty, means that there is room for interpretation. Which means you're never going to satisfy everybody, but that's, I guess, I mean, it's why it's so popular on Twitter these days, Formula yeah, 1. Exactly. Although I advise you don't always <laughs> read what is on Twitter. Uh, let's go to the second intervention, because it was very briefly after the first intervention, uh, essentially a four-car pile-up at the restart. 
only Charles Leclerc of Sergio Perez, Nikita Mazepin, and George Russell made it through uh, to the the next red flag suspension. This is potentially the other crucial part of this race that had a, a massive bearing on the ultimate result was that Hamilton stuck with his hard tyres that he fitted on lap 10. Verstappen decided to switch to the medium tyre. I guess Red Bull at this point is thinking that, and of course they were dropped down to third as a result of a negotiation with uh, race director Michael Massey. Another uh, peek behind the curtain, I guess, something we don't normally get to hear is when they are told by race control to give the position back. Now we heard it in all of its glory, I suppose we can call it. Uh, Dropped a third, which meant that starting behind Hamilton, realistically, there wouldn't be too much opportunity to get through on the same strategy. So he started on that medium tyre. But I guess that was still kind of a risk, wasn't it? I mean, we talked about the fact that they, they were sort of just in that window. We saw by the end of the race, in fact, that Verstappen, Verstappen's tyres had gone off with about five laps to go. It seemed like he would have been pretty easy pickings for Hamilton. Despite everything that came, is this the moment where Verstappen's fate in this race was kind of sealed? I don't know, because you think if you're Red Bull, you've just had um, two red flags. And as it transpired, there were lots of virtual safety car periods. So you're thinking maybe the mediums will last. You know, sometimes we've seen Pirelli suggest a race stint and you have actually been able to push it further, um, especially in a circuit where the, the energy is not monumental to the same extent like a Silverstone of Barcelona or, or Lazale. Um, you know, had they gone with the hard tyre, there's every chance that Max, we would have had a very boring Lewis first, Max second procession to the flag because on hard tyres, Max probably wouldn't have been able to get the lead into turn one. But so so going with the mediums is probably their only chance to, to even have a hope of the win, I would say. It is, and it's a bit of a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation at that point, yeah. isn't it? Similar to the pit stop situation. Yeah. Equal chance of failure with both options, I suppose, is the way to look at it. Uh, he he did, of course, snatch the lead, we know, with a great start. Hamilton even got bumped behind Esteban Ocon. Seemed to be paying too much attention to Esteban Ocon, I thought. Left the door really wide open at the first turn. But yeah nonetheless recovered to second pretty quickly thereafter and pursued Verstappen. It was clear the Mercedes car had the pace. Couldn't find a way past, in part because of this non-stop, seemingly, cycle of virtual safety cars for all sorts of debris. Mostly Aston Martin coloured, it's got to be said. Does often seem to be them, I feel like, for virtual safety cars. Uh, I don't know why that is. Maybe that's just the way... They are. There does seem to be a fragility with some of those cars. That yes. is surprising. Not helped, it must be said, by Kimi Raikkonen and Yuki Tsunoda, who both <laughs> managed to no. magnetise themselves to Sebastian Vettel's car, it seemed like. But it kind of broke up the rhythm of that middle part of the race, potentially helped Max Verstappen with tyre life. Ultimately, that wasn't the case, but I guess it helped him a couple of extra laps in total. But then we get to lap 37, the moment that Lewis Hamilton manages to build some momentum, ironically enough, out of a virtual safety car to try and launch a pass around the outside again of turn one, pretty much the favoured overtaking point at this track. This time they touch, uh, they go off track again. This is deemed again to be a situation which Max Verstappen should give the position to Hamilton or give the position back, I suppose, considering he was deemed to have been enough ahead to have claimed that corner. And he did try, I guess, sort of, uh, down the, well, part of the back straight. Most of the track is a back straight, really, when you think about it. But he did it by shifting down five gears before the penultimate corner, hitting the brakes quite hard. I'm just going to ask you, first of all, what you think about this situation, because for me, it seemed, I guess, relatively clear cut that it was dangerous, but it has proved more contentious than I expected. I think overall, it was more just clumsy than malicious. Yeah. Um, Because I think... You know, people saying, oh, you know, Max is trying to take him out. I don't think that's the case because it would look, well, it would look so bad if you tried to do that. Um, I think coming to the, the, the trigger point of that incident, 
we'd seen for several laps Lewis through the first sector where there's a lot of those high-speed curves just couldn't stick with Max so that gap kind of kept going seven or eight tenths and then just just stringing out to kind of 1.3 1.4 then through the second and third sectors coming back and then you're right there was that virtual safety car that gave Lewis Hamilton that opportunity he took it goes around the outside um sorry takes the outside line Max defends runs them wide Lewis just just about cuts back to make turn two to take enough of the curb and I think that's probably what triggered race control to think yep that was unfair give the position back but it was the execution of giving that position back that was just very messy um because you've got to consider that you know Max and Lewis are driving the cars then you've got Jonathan Wheatley from Red Bull Racing then Ron Meadows from Mercedes both trying to talk to Michael Massey he's trying to deal with the situation work out what to say then Ron Meadows has to tell that to um, Bono. Jonathan Wheatley has to tell that to GP. They've got to then tell that to their drivers. So there's, there's a lot of communication going on in, in a very, very short frame of time. Um, Max said after he was told through turn 22, uh, and then the stewards report said that he was told to relinquish the position strategically. And the interpretation of that, as the stewards outlined, was that neither driver wanted to be ahead of the other heading into that DRS detection point on the run to turn 27. So that's why Max is suddenly lifting off and then downshifting and braking. But Lewis behind is thinking, what on earth is going on? He's suddenly slowing in the middle of the circuit. What do I do? So it's that it's, it's basically a miscommunication, but it's so bizarre. I can't remember anything like it because we've seen, you know, several times this season, sometimes once per race, you know, someone's told to give a position back. And the way you do that is you kind of, you lift off offline along a straight. You don't do it by suddenly braking, decelerating, downshifting, kind of online and then in the middle of the track. It's just, it was very, very bizarre. Um, and I think everyone was just, just perplexed by it, really. I understand like the strategic element is in a sense, proved to be the, the smoking gun, if you like, the thing that, that sort of linked it all together and showed, you know, there was clearly a motivation here. I mean, obviously, it was unusual behavior, full stop. It almost didn't really matter what the reason was, but it cleared up the, the motivation, I suppose. The idea, as you said, that they were trying to, or he was trying to make sure that Hamilton didn't have DRS running out of the last corner. But the thing that strikes me is that that kind of switch of positions never really flies with the FIA. The idea that you can, you know, Hamilton, everyone referenced this example in 2008 where he tried the same thing in Spa, wasn't it? Uh, And the idea that you give it back in a way where you can immediately take the position back at the next corner or down the next straight. The FIA typically says, well, you haven't really given the position back. You still have to give it back or they'll just slap you with the penalty that you were trying to avoid. It seems silly, particularly in that context, that he seemed to go to all that effort to slow the car down. And good thing they're so much quicker than everyone else, there's no one there to pass them. But to go to all that effort for something that was never really going to work in the first place, I, I don't really understand what that was. It was a sort of, do you, do you suspect it was just sort of a lack I think of so much probably in happened situation? in a short frame of time that they didn't really think it through because both of them didn't want the DRS. But you're right, if Lewis had gone past they hadn't collided. Max would have slotted in straight behind, used DRS and overtaken. And then straight away, you'd have had Ron Meadows coming on to Michael Massey saying, oh, you can't do it like that. You'd have had Jonathan Wheatley coming on saying, well, actually, yes, we can. And you've had Massey then trying to deal with that of, oh, can you overtake, give a position back, but then not take it in within a certain frame, a certain amount of time. I don't actually know if there's anything in the regulations that says if you give a position back, you can't immediately retake it. It's almost kind of, I think, it's almost like an unwritten rule that you don't straight away take back a position that you've just given back. But if you were then going to go and argue it in court, well, good luck trying to do that because it's probably not written in the regulations. Maybe someone will prove me wrong and it's actually Article 5000 Part (laughs) 6 that actually says that or somewhere in the sporting code it does say that. I don't think it does. 
So I, I think you're right. I, I don't quite know what they expected to happen. Well, I mean, we saw what happened because then a few laps later, Max did give the position back along the same piece of track and then immediately went to the inside to repass Lewis into turn 27. And then one lap later, kind of did it again. This time Lewis runs in wide as a kind of almost like, do you remember Marquez and Rossi years ago in MotoGP at Sepang yeah, when, yes. when Rossi ran Marquez wide and then there's the whole did he kick him and he, he didn't in the end but it got very toxic it was almost like that when Lewis ran him wide as if to say you do not come back at me this is it this is done um, and I think that was also borderline but but you're right the whole slowing to let him pass with the intention of then repassing straight away I, I don't know how that would have played out had it happened well I mean it's exactly as you said I mean in my opinion anyway exactly as you said that they were told the second time that it wasn't good enough and in fact after that second attempt, the stewards had clearly had enough and penalised Verstappen anyway for the thing. It was five seconds that he was handed for pushing Hamilton off track all those laps ago. And then strangely enough, as you said, there was a third attempt. Verstappen let him pass despite having the five-second penalty, so in a sense was double penalised, if you like. Uh, I, I can't help but wonder whether Red Bull's just going to count that as a loss considering the way that race seems to sort of unravel for them in the last 10 laps maybe it's better not to appeal to the stewards maybe save your appeals for Abu Dhabi who knows <laughs> you got to sort of stay in their good books but just a really strange way for the race to kind of unravel but in the end it was Hamilton that got back past as you said he was waved through the, the third time of asking and he made sure the deal was absolutely done by running them out of road which I mean uh, what I really think was interesting about this race and this whole series of events we've just talked about is that it sets up the psychological battle for the last round. You know, these guys have been sort of been a little bit of a war of words, but not heaps, to be fair. Most of the boiling over in this championship has been happening between the team principals, strangely enough. And they've had their flashpoints, but for the most part have been pretty tame on track, more or less, other than the occasion. Obviously, we've had some big crashes, but the occasional collision otherwise. This felt like the way they were behaving on track was just something a little bit different. And I can't help but wonder how that's going to influence this next seven days. I think, as I said earlier, the first half of the season, a lot of the time Lewis backed out of collisions or potential collisions. Then at Silverstone, he didn't. And then I think it changed in that neither's really willing to give an inch. And they've kind of taken that aggression on to the next step. But I thought, I thought this is the first race I watched where I thought, Max really crossed the line. I don't think before, I think you could argue it was all fair. Every time I thought he was coming to Lewis, I thought they're both going off. It was, I think unhinged is quite a strong word, but it, it was very, it was wild. It was out of control. You thought that he, he usually channels his aggression, but it felt very much of like, you are not coming past me. And I think he has, he has to take that attitude because he knows that Mercedes had the faster car. So it was like, he's either looking at worst case scenario, if they're both out, it's the late point lead. If he stays ahead, it's 14. But if Lewis gets ahead, it's it's one or maybe even zero as it transpired with the fastest lap. So I think this is the first race. It's really kind of, there's a lot of acrimony between the pair because you'd seen there's a lot of squabbling on the radio over the whole formation lap and the, the practice start and things like that. I think in terms of the team bosses, I think they've almost created a kind of siege mentality that you see it in football sometimes when... Uh, the, the players have a bad game but the manager comes back and says that was on me and by the way did you see that refereeing decision did you see that tackle that the, the the player on the other team made so it's kind of deflection tactics which I think Christian Horner is very good at such that a lot of the, the the race reaction a lot of the comments comes on what is he talking about you know he probably doesn't really believe it it's just that it's taking the pressure away from his drivers and his team he's kind of taking the flack and I think Toto Toto comes across a bit more diplomatic in his words but I think he's kind of adopting similar tactics of I'm the boss I, I'm going to take the flack here um, 
to take the pressure off my drivers and off my team. I mean, one of them is going to lose. We know that. That's just how sport works. But I, I think, you know, it, it's so tense. There's so much pressure that neither team boss at this stage of the season is going to suddenly turn around and say, well, you know what, well, actually, yeah, my driver was in the wrong because you'd have, you know, you know Maxwell Lewis would turn around to Total Christian and go, what? You're, you're on my side. You're meant to defend me. And, and you'd have so many figures from within both teams saying, why are you picking on our side? You know, you've got to deflect this outwards. So I think they've both played a clever game, but ultimately one of them has to lose. Now, I want to ask you what I've been able to ask all the guests for this second half of the season. That is who you think is going to win. But in the context of that question, I want to ask you about the importance of the second drivers, which is something I expected to play more of a role this season. But I mean, it hasn't really. Uh, Sergio Perez, after all, crashed out of this race, and then Valtteri Bottas got stuck behind some other cars after one of the restarts. But I, I guess in some respects, that's really a testament to Max and Lewis and how they've been performing relative to all the other drivers. They've just been so far ahead of even their teammates. Looking forward to Abu Dhabi, to an extent, of course, being reprofiled is a bit of an unknown. We know that. We don't know who exactly is going to perform well, which team might have the upper hand. But... Given the teams do tend to line up pretty closely amongst themselves, the teammates tend to uh, qualify pretty closely amongst each other. And, of course, we know overtaking has typically been quite difficult here, and it's mostly been about pit stop strategy when there has been the opportunity for there to even be pit stop strategy. I want to ask you not only who you think is going to win this thing, win the championship and the race, but whether or not you think Valtteri Bottas and Sergio Perez might finally have an opportunity to play a role in deciding the championship. I think we've seen a trend at Abu Dhabi where it's very it's very follow the leader and it's very two by two in that in past seasons, drivers have qualified where you'd expect them to qualify in pace order. It's one of those circuits where it seems to happen in that way. So I know we don't quite yet know how the reprofile turns will affect that. I would guess, I mean... When, when you look at past races, you'd rely on Valtteri probably to have a higher grid position than Checo. You know, Valtteri's very strong on a Saturday and Checo can't quite... He's never been a qualifier. So it depends how much Mercedes and Red Bull are ahead, I think, of the opposition. If Perez is fourth, that I think that's a good outcome for Red Bull. Whereas there's a risk that he get dragged down into kind of seventh or eighth behind Gasly, behind Leclerc, behind Norris. And, and then if that happens, he's very much kind of, you know, the aim is to get him ahead of those rather than being used in the title battle. If he's fourth, he's very much the guy that can sometimes make that opposite strategy work of, oh, when did Checo pit? Oh, he hasn't. He's still out there on 50 lap soft tyres or whatever and still somehow setting good pace so I think you know I would expect them to be one two three four in qualifying I don't know which order you know I'm not a psychic um I I think we're only going to be able to see after Saturday after the the outcome of qualifying but if 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 Checo's fourth then I think that's that's a good advantage for Red Bull to have because we know that Valtteri's not the strongest wheel to wheel or it starts so I think we just have to wait and see it's a really boring answer Um, (laughs) (laughs) I like the qualification of the answer though I think there's good method in there the idea that it might actually depend at least a little bit on how Sergio Perez qualifies to set up what might happen in the race what will be a little bit perhaps a little bit of a strategically uncertain race given the changes to the track but I won't press you for a prediction unless you've that's brought you some thinking time (laughs) I mean, the fact that I can't answer straight away is great because it means that we're not, you know, we're not going to the final race thinking, oh, it's definitely going to be a Mercedes track or it's definitely going to be a Red Bull track because we see Mercedes won there, I think, six or seven years on the bounce. And then last year, Red Bull with Max dominated and, and Album was pretty quick as well. But then the mitigating circumstance of Lewis had just had COVID and came back clearly too soon, um, probably wasn't on top form. 
Mercedes had won both titles, so maybe there's a little bit of foot off the gas. You know, they didn't have the best approach because Lewis only got there on the Friday. George did all the media activities. So is 2020 the form book or is it the outlier? Who knows? But I think both teams will head there with confidence. You know, I don't think either's thinking we're on the back foot. Um, it could come down to a collision. It could come down to a mistimed virtual safety car. It could come down to someone getting the wrong strategy oh god I don't know I mean (laughs) you'd say Lewis is the one that's probably uh, I don't know the the fact I can't can't call it I've got my head in my hands Um, I think Red Bull are the ones that this this might be their only chance you know we don't know how 2022 will pan out but we know Honda have gone all in we know that they've done more development than Mercedes you've also got to consider next year Ferrari and McLaren could uh, emerge as title contenders. so I think there might be more pressure in thinking this could be their one chance at it And, and the fact they've been the ones that have had the bigger lead you know Max was 32 ahead after Austria and and 21 ahead after sprint in Brazil so so they're the ones that have have lost the lead so then there might be a bit more pressure in that element of thinking god we, we could have had this one if only the tire didn't go in Baku you know if only Valtteri didn't cannonball everyone in Budapest you know we, we could have had this already um, I just hope it comes down to whoever does a better job that weekend does the better performance because effectively you know it's a reset we're on level points Max is ahead on countback of course but I hope it doesn't come down to waiting three hours for a decision. Then there's a, a penalty that changes the outcome of the whole championship. Then there'd be an appeal. Then there might be a hearing. Then there might be an appeal of that hearing. I, I hope it's decided cleanly, fairly, Sunday evening in Abu Dhabi and that the best man wins. Yes, look, it's a, it's a beautiful thing to hope for. <laughs> maybe it's too much after this season. Maybe it's just too it's much. Naivety. Yes, maybe. But look, as long as we get a, a result by Christmas, then I think everyone will be happy. Feel incredible. Uh, a race in Saudi Arabia in the championship context if nothing else what a thrill it is we're going down to the wire in the fullest sense possible and it's been a pleasure to talk about the race with you thanks Michael and Merry Christmas everyone Well, after an incredible championship season of 21 rounds, the scores are level heading into the last race in Abu Dhabi, and the setup could not be more tense. Driving standards are back in the spotlight, and it hasn't escaped Hamilton's attention that Verstappen will win the title on countback if both fail to score. If they end up racing wheel-to-wheel in Yas Marina, and let's face it, that's been the way of things at almost every race in 2021, have no doubt it will be some of the rawest, most aggressive racing we've seen this season, because the winner takes it all in this do-or-die championship finale. Thanks very much to Phil Horton for joining me. The Strategy Report is powered by Apex Race Manager, the mobile race strategy simulator. Download Apex Race Manager for free for iOS and Android devices. If you haven't already, you can subscribe to the F1 Strategy Report with your favourite podcast app to ensure you never miss an episode. And if you like the show, please leave us a rating and a review to help spread the word. You can also find us on social media. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast. Special thanks to Ben Loke from Bloke Designs for the show artwork, and our theme music is by Simon Hosford. My name's Michael Laminato, and I'll catch you next week for the big one, the championship-deciding Abu Dhabi Grand Prix.